So if you guys, you know, is there a screen button at the bottom? I think I have to allow you to do that. So go ahead. Gotcha. And here we are. Hi, folks. Um, thanks for dialing in, and Alan, thanks for setting this up. Um, it's, it's a, I suppose, in the absence of networking events, this is a nice way of people um, getting together and, and sharing their thoughts. Um, so I'm just going to run you through. Um, hopefully, I'm sharing the right screen there. You should be able to see a presentation. Yeah, so it's our services uh, and uh, okay, in there. Yeah. Okay, so uh, a lot of you guys are probably familiar with Atlantic Aviation. I won't bore you to tears. Um, we're here to talk about design. Uh, my role in Atlantic Aviation is Head of Design Services. Um, we have Part 21 uh, J approval for approximately uh, three years this year and uh, doing minor mods, cabin avionics and uh, external livery. The group, um, our core business really is the MRO. So we have a hangar based in Shannon, uh, maintaining all the Boeing types effectively, uh, 737576. Uh, it's been impacted obviously by uh, COVID-19, but not to a large scale just yet because a lot of our customers that we have uh, from March through September are the cargo operators and they haven't been uh, hit to the same extent. Um, certainly their business, if anything, has gone up. Um, so it's just operational constraints that's hitting them really. Uh, we've a camo services and we've got a 147 uh, training school here as well. So I prepared uh, three slides just to show you guys um, what we're seeing as, and some of what we're doing um, in, in the design world. Uh, I'll try and be, um, I'll try and get through this fairly quickly. I don't want to bore anyone to tears. Um, First thing I suppose that everyone kind of saw and, and we got some inquiries initially when, when COVID-19 um, you know, started to, to impact us in Europe. Um, a lot of inquiries for, uh, I, I said here, you know, cargo flights, but also um, medical flights as well. So um, in, in both cases, you know, we got inquiries for, for carrying cargo and there's two aspects to cargo. There's, you know, the operators generally with the white bodies where they're taking out the seats and uh, carrying in a cargo strapped down to the uh, sea tracks. Um, that's a really FTC level, but uh, yes, are making some exceptions if on the provision, you know, that it's uh, for the carriage of medical supplies. Um, so some of you are probably familiar with, uh, and you've seen a lot of news in LinkedIn, where, you know, yes, are basically allowing the local authorities to, to do that. So I think DOA's got involved to some extent in, in supporting those changes, but um, basically the, the uh, the authorities were issuing exemptions for the most part. Um, the other mod that's out there traditionally has been an STC because there's a special condition against it. But again, Yasa had some leniency in the, you know, in the case of COVID-19, that was for this cargo seat bags. So um, the basically you've you've seen the um A320s and, and 73s uh, would be a lot of operators have been uh, loading the seat bags onto the seats and doing that with the support of design organizations um, and the authorities again where exemptions are needed. Um, Atlantic Aviation haven't really got involved in any of that. We've, we've had inquiries, uh, but um, because the exemptions are out there, the operators work directly with the um, with their authorities. And the other thing we had some inquiries for uh, was for uh, <laughs> of, uh, you know, stretchers. Um, 
so medical flights uh, such. Um, but there is STCs out there already in the market. Uh, uh, it's really by the time uh, a design organization would develop an STC, probably would be too late for the immediate requirement that was there. So um, the other thing that uh, we've been doing, um, and I think a lot of other desi design organizations have been doing, is marketing the uh, what are the potential solutions for the uh, changes to the cabin. So that would say once the passenger, um, you know, to, once flights are kind of back in the air and active again, I suppose airlines are putting in uh, provisions there to ensure that they uh, comply with um, YAS's guidelines in terms of uh, PPE, um, maintaining distance, uh, that sort of thing. Um, design organizations would support that to a certain extent by, um, so we've had some inquiries and we're working on some solutions for installing um, sanitizer dispensers. Uh, storage, additional storage options, uh, signage for the cabin, uh, you know, typical um, typical signage that you see around for maintaining uh, um, social distancing. Uh, touchless devices, not something we're working on, but I think it's definitely there, there's going to be a market for that. I think maybe some of the, um, <laughs> yeah, some of the, you know, the premium airlines, I think, will be looking at putting uh, like touchless um uh we say the sanitizer dispensers or, or you know for the faucets or for the flush in the labs that sort of thing and the other thing we're seeing there is um a lot on linkedin i don't know if any airlines have implemented any of this obviously there's huge certification activity involved um let me see if i can uh get out of this for a sec Sorry, guys, you're not seeing this, I don't think. Oh, yeah, just we, we have the DOA uh, slide there at the moment, column, yeah? Yeah. Um, so that link will bring you to um, uh, basically Avio Interiors. Uh, they've had some really interesting um, uh, potential uh, kind of changes to seats, etc. Um, I think I got it. Yeah, um, it's probably on on if you on your browser. Is it the the page? We're we're still seeing the DOA organization responding to COVID nineteen slide. There's another slide popping up there now. There you are. Um, have, have you interiors? The LinkedIn. Very good. Yeah, see that there now. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I've seen that the reverse that that reverse seat concept. <laughs> It's a yeah. Bit strange, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I'll go through. Uh, I was showing uh, Alan earlier. There's another interesting website. So this is Avio Interiors. Um, uh, they do. Uh, you know, they can. They've. They're not one of the major suppliers, I suppose. Um, so they can react quite quickly, and they're one of the first to come out with some unusual sort of ideas for seat designs. And uh, we're we're not really. Uh, I think a lot of this is speculative. I don't think airlines are investing um, in uh, new seats given that they're, they're really uh, struggling, I think, uh, at the moment. But uh, maybe it's something we see in the, you know, in the far future. So definitely something to keep an eye on. Um, okay, let me get back to this. Uh, and I suppose the last thing, how are we responding to uh, COVID-19 is, is really, uh, you know, we've seen a, a reduction in the amount of activity in particular, uh, you know, from leasing companies with transitions and, uh, 
uh, cabin changes, you know, so airlines, um, the, the mods that we're working on as a, as a design organization at the moment are mostly supporting uh, cargo airlines with uh, avian mods, uh, that sort of thing. Um, and, and you know, some of these solutions that we're looking at for the, for the cabins. So other than that, we're doing some other R&D activity. Um, I'll go through that at the end. Um, okay, some, uh, rather than focus too much on COVID-19, just a couple of recent developments in part 21 world as such. Um, some of you might be familiar with all of these already, but I would say these are the top three that are kind of affecting them um, or, you know, top three kind of new developments that YASA have come out with that are relevant to us and at least as a design organization. So first one is uh, level of involvement. Um, I have the link in there. I'm not going to go through the link as such, but I think if, I, if Alan shares these slides with everyone afterwards, you'll be able to follow that through and get the um, detailed explanation from YASA. But basically level of involvement has gone through uh, as of uh, late last year sometime. And what it means is, uh, for design uh, design organizations doing STCs, um, they're basically they're they're measured for lack of a better word, and YASA um, assign uh, their their sort of their competency is is measured and and different areas. And what it means is if if you're a design organization, would say who's an expert in uh, reconfigurations, and you're doing an STC for a reconfiguration. Um, and yes, I have a high level of confidence, but it means is that the organization can issue the um, uh, the STC or the or for the most part, you know, that, that YASA would have very little involvement in the approval of the STC. Um, so it should it should really help uh, going forward, you know, as as design organizations start specializing in different things, and it will help them become, uh, you know, you've level of expertise, and you'll be able to get STCs um, issued and out the door uh, quicker. Um, so that should, you know, we all know that there's a, a hesitance to go down the route of STC sometimes simply because we don't know how long it's going to take um, YASA to, to respond. Um, second thing is uh, lithium batteries. So been a lot of talk over the last few years. Uh, we've all heard of the incidents, uh, 787 and some other aircraft, you know, where lithium batteries have caused fires in aircraft. Um, seven eight, I suppose, is, is the most notorious because it's ended, you know, it ended up in the ground unit aircraft. But um, uh, some other, there, there have been other incidents. Uh, as of last year, um, I think it, there was a, a workshop. Uh, I'll see if I can dig up that slide here. So this will bring you to the the STC workshop from 2019. Uh, STC workshop is. Um, it's one of the YASA events where, um, where design organizations will participate and they discuss um, various changes in the regulation, et cetera. Sorry, I'm just trying to get this up here. Right. Doesn't want to do it. Um, Back at the LinkedIn page there now. Yeah. I think you should be able to see the slide here. So. Okay, the screen share has gone off there, Colm. So oh. click the screen share button again. The bottom, the green button at the bottom. Yeah. So the slide 
still not showing. For, oh, here we go. Here we go. Yeah, it mightn't be exactly the way I wanted to share. All right, that's the asset page. Very good. Battery with capacity. I see that there now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so basically, uh, yes, I've come out with this. Uh, I don't know if any of the uh, participants have been affected, but certainly it's it's affected us. We were, you know, typically, uh, you know, one of the common mods that we do as a design organization is um, emergency equipment changes and. Most emergency equipment uh, layouts are going to have an ELT, portable ELT, and they're going to have uh, a defibrillator, uh, two devices that would typically have your uh, non-rechargeable lithium batteries. Um, so yes, it came out with a chip. Uh, basically, I suppose a little bit of a guidance, for lack of a better word, it's a soft rule if you want to call it that, that all lithium battery installations are, are now major. Uh, so. What that means is uh, our minor mods for doing our uh, portable ELT installations uh, are now major mods. Um, so we've had some experience with them in, in reclassifying uh, a couple of them, but it's, it is a bit of, um, you know, there's some work involved in that. Before we can, you know, move forward with a mod, we have to basically, uh, you know, spec that mod to a safety assessment and, you know, justifying the reclassification and, and submit that to YASA. Uh, so that's affected us directly with um, ELTs and, and ULB installation mods that we have. Um, in fairness, they give us some criteria and this is what we use in our justification. So possible reclassification uh, on the provision that um, there's a couple of uh, items that you might meet here. And the one that's most commonly met is the, uh, is the top one here. So we typically, um, your, your battery capacity has to be under the 100 watt, watt hours and installed in an area in the cabin where the, the crew can localize it and, and there's no, um, let's say, um, flammable substances close by, so away from uh, oxygen lines, fuel lines, etc. And the qualification of the battery is important there as well. Um, it does mean, I think, uh, really, uh, airlines and lessors should take into consideration um, if they are installing the ELT. Uh, we still see, still see it here in the hangar, um, airlines and lessors are still installing ELTs, which are quite old. And um, and I suppose they're getting away with it, but eventually those ELTs, I think, are going to go off the market because of the, um, the batteries really won't meet the latest qualifications. Uh, for the moment, I think it's it's somewhat a gray area. I think yes, uh, our, it's a soft law as such, but um, we, we'll see that more and more. And basically you're either going to need an STC or you're going to need to reclassify your models minor if you're installing an ELT defibrillator, ULB or, or any other um, device with a lithium battery. Um, okay, we we'll go back to the slideshow. So we're still okay. in the ASA page, if you want, yeah, so it's popping up here now. <laughs> I'm oh, gonna, no, we're still on the ASA page. I'll stop and reshare. Um, yeah. Hang on a sec. I think we'd have to get away from trying to share a link, share anything other than the... Uh, yeah, there we go. We're back with the uh, Howard DAO organizations responding COVID-19. So that's that page. So is, is the next page you want to go on to? Page down? Yep. 
Okay. So the last thing there in the new development in the TUA world is um, there's a proposed CERB memo. So it hasn't been released yet, but it can still be used as a reference document. There won't be much change between what's there and what will be released. And that's a CERB memo coming out um, with guidance or you know, if you want um, rules for classifying uh, cabin changes. So it's uh, kind of a long-weighted document to try and clear up some of the gray areas that are out there um, in terms of classification for um, you know, local changes, etc. And um, the link is there. So, Alan, I think if you share these slides, fine, yeah. it's, it, yeah. you can go to that. Okay. Last thing, guys, just to run through uh, new designs for the post COVID 19 era, uh, era as such. Um, new cabin layouts and features. Uh, I've got a link there uh, Runway Girl Network. Um, so, Runway Girl Network is a uh, it's a website that has some really, um, you know, they follow uh, what's going on uh, in uh, cabin interiors. And if you go there, you'll, you'll get some interesting information on, particularly on what the uh, seat manufacturers are doing, uh, coming up with new new seat types, et cetera, to, um, to try, and, um, try and provide that separation. You'll see a lot of them, a lot of them are what they're doing is providing, you know, a, instead of a triple seat, they're doing something in the middle, be it a, a barrier of some sort or whatever it might be. As a designer's organization, we haven't really, uh, there's a lot of certification issues involved there. So we're kind of waiting to see what airlines really want to do. Um, and we'll go from there. So what we are doing as a design organization is we're looking really, trying to look past, um, uh, put some of our resources into developing uh, solutions for what we see, you know, after um, in a post COVID-19 era, um, I think this, we're going to see a lot of aircraft movements, so lessors trying to move aircraft. Um, and we've had discussions with lessors in the past about what they want to see design organizations doing. And um, we haven't had the capacity to do that. We've been too busy working on, on various mods. So really, we're going to put some resource now into uh, looking into STCs for zero packs LOPA and potentially um, extending our privileges to include uh, approval of flight conditions for firm to fly. Um, also off-the-shelf uh, solutions for when uh, moving aircraft. So we have a list there of kind of, um, we want to develop some mods that we can issue uh, quite quickly then in, in those cases. So some of these will be STCs and so potentially some minor, mostly STCs here, but the, uh, the lithium batteries. So if, you know, we need to get, develop standards really. So at least if we can get over the line, have a solution on various types for ELTs, ULVs, AADs, um, at least we've been able to offer those when, when, there's, uh, when there's a requirement. Um, the dual battery uh, needed for extended flight. Um, we see that here a lot on seven trees that are, that are uh, changing airline and, and they want to have the uh, additional um, power source essentially, um, typically for, for the uh, PO heat. And CVRs, so there's a lot of changes coming up with CVRs or changes in the past as well, and we still see inquiries. So the 25 hour capacity uh, is one, depending on the age of the aircraft, of course. Uh, switching of the CVR, so some, some aircraft, uh, you say they're built for the CVR comes on with engines and there's a requirement there for CVR to come on um, earlier. Uh, independent power source, so Already a requirement, I think, for some aircraft, but I think YASA will be, um, so there's a rule coming out and YASA are going to be implementing uh, uh, a requirement for um, independent power source for CVRs, essentially a, a battery uh, power source for the CVR. 
um, otherwise known as a RIPS, um, and the uh, data link recording. So we've had some inquiries. It's something I think that wasn't really considered too much. So CPDLC has been done, I'd say, on most aircraft at this stage. It's been implemented at definitely in our hangar. We've been doing it for the last couple of years. But quite often, uh, there's no requirement in YASA for data link recording. But that is a requirement under the FAA um, uh, CPDLC requirement. So, so I think it's something we might see if, if uh, lessors are trying to move aircraft from, from here over to the US. Um, so hopefully we can come up with a solution for that. And then, and that's it from Atlantic Aviation, I think. That's great. My contact details, guys, if anyone needs them afterwards. Thanks very much, uh, Colin. Um, you can, if, if you can stop share the screen there now, we get uh, John uh, uh, installed to start the second uh, presentation. There we go. Super. Thanks, thanks very much. Uh, we have one question for Colin. Come, come to at the end of John's presentation, so. Okay. Um, I'm just getting this across now for you guys. Yeah. Okay. So we're just seeing the desktop there at the moment, John. So um, you get nothing there now. Nothing. Yeah, there we go. Uh, yeah, that's the full screen and all. Away okay. you go. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah the, Thank you, Alan, and thank you for inviting me, and thanks everyone for um, for joining in. Colin, that was a very interesting presentation. I hope I can keep everybody's interest as well. Uh, my name is John Hunt. I'm the managing director of TEG. I'm also the accountable manager for our Part 21G organization, our production organization. Uh, I'll give you some background on our company. Uh, we're located in Mullingar, 80 kilometers west of Dublin, one hour west of Dublin, and. Uh, we're a Part 21J organization, a design organization, a production organization, and a Part 145. Uh, we've 120 people employed in the company. Uh, I'm pleased to say that we're fully operational. You know, aviation isn't our only business. <clears throat> Excuse me. We, we, we also support customers in the pharmaceutical industry, the medical device industry in 36 countries. You know, so, uh, at any at any one time, aviation can account for up to forty percent of our business. You know, recently it's dropped from that percentage, but you know, I'm glad I'm glad to say we're still busy. Um, you know, we've got a lot of engineering skills which we combine together to provide solutions to the customer. Um, of the 120 people, we've got 26 apprentices, uh, very good in the area of of design and project management. Um, our Part 21J certification includes the, uh, the following areas. You can just see them illustrated there on the aircraft. It's quite extensive. Um, and you know, we, 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 we have a good team, a good design team behind us. Uh, what I'm going to focus on more is the Part 21G. You know, and our Part 21G organization it's, uh, it covers structural metallic and non-metallic aircraft parts and assemblies. Uh, it's for all aircraft types. We don't do hot engine parts or moving engine parts or avionics, you know, but it covers everything else. You know, we, we're able to manufacture parts up to five meters in length. We've done some very, very substantial parts for aircraft uh, and issued the ASA Form 1 with them. 
over, over the years. We're quite well known for AOG-related work you know, on structural parts. Um, the supply chain, Alan asked me to talk, to talk about the supply chain and you know, in, in TEG, we, we work with, uh, we work with uh, Airbus and Boeing and along with a lot of MROs, uh, column included, and uh, leasing companies and airlines. Um, and we distinguish internally between aerospace and aviation. Aerospace is focused on the OEM, supplying into OEM or tier one or tier two suppliers. Um, and it's big volume and, and predictable. The sales are predictable over the course of two, three years. Aviation is, is different. It's low volume. It's, it's immediate. There's no guarantee of future work. And it's dealing with airlines, MROs, and leasing companies. Um, you know, the, the COVID, I'm going to just give you some background on what has happened to COVID in manufacturing, um, because I'm not sure how many of you are in manufacturing, but um, most companies in the supply chain, they're concentrated in a single industry on aerospace. You know, you know, the reality is that the average supplier in the aerospace sector is three customers accounting for more than 90% of sales. Uh, it's big volume work. Um, there are high overheads, skilled staff and regulatory demands cause high overheads. Uh, with the machinery and with the testing and also with the surface treatments, NDT, all of that, it's quite capital intensive. And with the volume that's involved, well, the, mar the, margins, the margins are low. You know, it's, it's volumes not quite as high as the automotive, but nevertheless, they are high, vo high volumes compared, compared to. Interesting. If you're enjoying the aviation diploma to date, uh, this is certainly uh, an on. Sorry, I missed that. Sorry, uh, just, I just, uh, there's some background noise there. It should be okay, John. Okay, okay. So long-term long long high-volume contracts, they're, they're highly sought after because of the predictability. And I'm sure you've been reading the financial pages. You know, these companies are vulnerable when volume reduces and borrowings still have to be paid for investment and working capital. You know, so that's, that's the scenario that these companies were facing, uh, or that the industry was facing right up until January. And up until January, all of the companies were being encouraged, despite the 737 MAX, they were being encouraged by the overall supply chain to invest for future additional capacity. You know, and, and many of them did do that. Yeah, so it, it really has been a very severe downturn and very sudden you know, for them. You know, and you're know, reading some of the articles and the media, you know, Boeing is cutting 16,000 jobs, 10% of its workforce. Airbus has cut production by one third. Uh, two thirds of the world's passenger jets are grounded. Uh, there's, there's an article in the Financial Times today about uh, how Airbus is appointing some uh, retired veterans to rescue its aviation supply chain. Uh, it's probably the best article that I've ever read about it, and I recommend it to you all to read it, just to get some background on, on what is happening in, this, in, the, in the supply chain for aircraft parts. Well, the impact of it, you know, you know it's going to take several years for this to, uh, 
to be to to restore to levels last seen in January. You know, it's you know that's according to production engineering solutions, and I certainly agree with it. You know, I've I've many friends and in the industry, and they're all telling me about order books being cancelled or delayed at a minimum. You know, it's 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 brought cash flow implications, resources, staff equipment reduced to match demand. Demand is significantly lower. The third and fourth tier suppliers, any, any company less than 500 staff, it's experiencing very severe trading conditions. You know, that's, that's for those companies that are almost focused exclusively on the aerospace sector. You know, and one sure sign of the difficulty in the industry is that the quantity of CNC machinery for sale in websites, it's at a, an all time record high. You know, so there's a lot of there's a lot of pain. It's very significant that you know that machinery is being offered for sale. Uh, you know what does uh, you know what does this mean for the supply of aviation parts uh, parts parts uh, parts that uh, airlines are going to require and uh, you know, you know leasing companies MROs. Well, you know the replacement for Replacement parts for any aircraft that's currently in production, it'll always be available from the OEM. That's not going to change. You know, there, there may be difficulty, you know, in gaining in getting parts from the OEM for parts for aircraft that are no longer in production. And you know, we we know it's already a longer delivery time, but it could get even longer. You know, you know, we, we all have to accept that it's much harder to restart a supply chain than to shut it down. You know, the, the COVID-19, you know, j just the practical implications of it, you know, the, the OEM approving a new supplier to replace a, a struggling or, or, or a supplier or a supplier that went out of business. You know, training of engineering staff is very important. It's very time consuming. Purchasing equipment, obtaining the necessary approvals. Uh, all of these take several years. You know, once a, once a company, once a supplier is gone, you know, and restarting it, you know, is difficult. You know, so the options, you know, for aviation parts, you know, in, in MROs and in airlines and with leasing companies, you know, there, there are a number of options and I put them down in, in the order of what I see is the, uh, the sequencing and the decision-making process. EOEM will always be the first port of call, you know, and that that's not going to change. Um, uh, you know, if the if the OEM doesn't have a part, well, then the, the airline, the MRO, is entitled to seek OEM approval for local manufacture. In the in the case of Boeing, it's obtaining a Boeing small. In the case of Airbus, it's an authorization letter for local manufacture. You know, generally for AOG situations. You know, but it's important to bear in mind a significant portion proportion of those engineering workshops that are capable of doing such work, you know, are in the process are experiencing severe difficulty. You know, uh, you know, it will get ESA Form One certification can be issued, you know, for uh, when such approval is given. And like like column, you know, TEG is seeing an increase in activity for freight aircraft, for example, with DHL. You know, they come to us and, and look for parts. Um, 
The third option is the secondary market, you know, and you know that's that's a good solution. You know, as long as the holes match up for for used part, you know, you put in a dodge in new aircraft, and you know that can sometimes be a challenge. Um, an area that we think in TEG that we think will become um, more attractive is the asset part twenty one solution. You know, where the DOA POA process approves an alternative part, you know, to perform the same function. You know, over in the United States, it's, it's referred to as a PMA part. I prefer to, I prefer to call them non-OEM parts. Um, you know, there, there is under the asset system, there is faster delivery. It is more cost effective. Smaller quantities can be accommodated and sometimes even quantity of one. Um, and from the operational point of view, you know, there's a lot to be said for this solution for, from the, the airline operating the aircraft because uh, the same ESA regulations apply to the DOA as apply to uh, all of the OEMs, you know, and, you know, the DOA, POA work under the same ESA regulations. Yeah, so the non-OEM non parts that we have seen over the course of uh, over the course of the years, uh, you know, I've been generally passenger seating, storage area, lavatory, galley, cargo, the interior of the aircraft. Uh, more recently, we're seeing non-critical parts of aircraft on a case-by-case -case situation. You know, you know, and TEG is doing such work, you know, for airlines. You know, when they come to us and they say, "Can you can you do this? Can you provide us with an alternative part number?" Um, we believe you know, that the potential lack of supply may cause aircraft leaser, lessors to, and airlines and MROs to review the policy you know, on non-OEM parts certified with ESA Form 1. That's, that's our opinion, that, 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 that it will become more, more common. You know, so in conclusion, you know, I guess nobody really knows what the future will bring. You know, the, uh, there are government supports right throughout Europe, you know, given to the industry. You know, they cannot last indefinitely. You know, and you know, these supports, they're camouflaging difficult situations. You know, so there is going to be pain. A small number of companies are, are going to get preferential treatment because they've got defense contracts. You know, and you know, the, U the UK, uh, Ministry, uh, Ministry of Defence is going to make sure that they've got strategic uh, suppliers still located in the UK, and rightly so. Yeah, so they will they will get special support. Yeah, I'd say as an industry, we just have to collaborate to maintain public confidence. You know, because when the rise, when the tide rises, it'll lift all of all of our boats. And in the meantime, we just stay positive and help each other out. Yeah, so. That's the background on it, and um, you know, thank you, everyone. My my contact details are here. You know, contact me and stay safe. You know, so thank you. That, that was very interesting, John. Thank you very much. It gave us a great overview of what's possible to keep aircraft flying, and we all want to see that happening and increasing again in the current climate. Um, so. Uh, thanks again for that. Uh, I suppose uh, a related point, I just uh, was talking to somebody before the call and uh, you probably spotted uh, 
you know, the big deal that Lufthansa have done uh, in relation to a government bailout. And um, I haven't read the small print, but one of the conditions, it seems, is that uh, the, the, your, the German government don't want any internal flights by Lufthansa in the near future as part of the environmental impact, you know. So that, that, that's a topic maybe for a future Zoom call we might have a look at. Um, so I, I just want to, um, uh, before we have the short APTN update, there was one question for Colm uh, from uh, Andrew T, who's uh, joining us from Singapore, I believe, Andrew, and uh, he, he's from a lesser out there called Bellinger. And uh, the question was, Colm, uh, would relocating an existing installed portable ELT be classified as a major or minor mod? Um, would you be able to comment on that? Yeah, um, so it, it actually falls under the same kind of uh, criteria as, as a new installation. Um, so Andrew, I'll just um, maybe go back to that slide. Uh, can you start. stop sharing, John, your screen first and then Colin okay. can uh, kick in. How do, how do I do that? No, so at the bottom, of the bottom of the, uh, the Zoom uh, window, you, you have share screen, so you should be able to stop share. It should be red to stop share. No, I don't see it. Uh... Okay, maybe I can do it here then. Let me see. You do it there, yeah. Thank you. So, um, yeah, just can you can you share a screen there, Colm? I think it says multiple participants can share simultaneously. Just try and share your screen there. Yeah, you should be able to see. Uh, should be able to see that the asset slide again. All right, one second now. Apologies for the, the uh, so okay try again okay right uh, try again actually I had another, another button off there so just one more time There we go. Okay, super. So uh, I didn't go through that point uh, uh, to answer Andrew's question. The um, the the second point, we say th these are the possible reclassification. There's kind of three kind of options that that Yasa have given here. Uh, you can probably ignore the third one because um, there's not too many batteries that are under five watt hours, um, and there's no such thing as a battery that meets this this latest. So this standard doesn't even exist yet. This 142B still being developed by Yasa. Anyway, the second point there, um, relocation of an already approved installation. So you'd imagine um, that, that that would automatically be, be a minor mod because the ELT is already existing, but they specify here in brackets where the special conditions were applicable. Uh, these special conditions only came out in the last couple of years. Uh, they were only applicable on the type certs for the various aircraft um, uh, this year. No, end of 2019. So to be honest, un unless there is an STC or, or unless it was on the, you know, unless you can show that the PLT that's installed was is um, meets the special condition, uh, then then it's going to be a major mod. So so really that's that's the concern here is that Yasa have issued a special condition against lithium batteries and to comply with a special condition it's it's major. 
So really what they're saying is if there's already a major mod with special condition applicable or, or done on the type cert, installing that ELT, then you can move it, provided you don't, um, you know, provided you can show that you're locating it somewhere where it's, uh, you know, where there's no impact on the original safety assessment. So, so quick answer is no. Um, what we've done, you know, like when I say we've been affected, we've done a couple of mods. Um, we had aircraft come through the hangar and we've had a couple of uh, cabin changes as a DOA. And our advice is if there's an ELT there or if there's a defibrillator there, leave it there. <laughs> um, so Tom, what about what about ones that are installed as part of the TC of the aircraft? So say it's a new delivery and you want yeah. to relocate. Yeah, so so Andrew, the um the, the type cert will say like most of the aircraft we're dealing with, um, you know, the, the type certs are pretty old at this stage. And you know, if you're talking about an aircraft that's more than a couple of years old, then the special condition wasn't um wasn't applicable back then. So it's a new special condition. Um it's only been put onto most of the type certs in the last uh, like towards you know mid mid to end of uh, twenty nineteen. So even though it was installed by the OEM um the OEM didn't have to comply with the special condition uh during that original installation right yeah so the idea is don't move it don't move it uh or if you do move it um we you gotta either reclassify your mod or do it as an stc now we're, we're going through the reclassification process we we went down the route of reclassifying one last year and failed because it was a, it was an old elt where the battery um you know, we couldn't show that the battery uh, met any of the real, uh, the newer requirements. Um, but we're we're going through the reclassification process at the moment for a, a ULB, um, and we're going through that for the 320 and the 73. And so far, uh, we've only, that's a very recent. It's in the last week. Um, we sent it. You know, we sent off our our document uh, supporting that about a week ago. And they've come back and they've said in both cases, you know, that they're happy from a cabin safety point of view and just it's with the electrical people. So, so the reclassification doesn't seem to be too, um, too onerous if we, if we follow the guidelines. Um, but, you know, in the event that you have an ELT there that's not going to uh, pass mustard, as they say, if you leave it there and change all the emer other emergency equipment on the aircraft around it, uh, it can stay there. Um, yeah. Thanks, Colin, for that. Um, if there's anybody else with questions, if not, I, I'll move on to the short uh, APTN update. Um, okay, so a couple of screens, one, a new one that, that uh, you may have not seen before, just to give you a kind of an overview of, of our target uh, membership numbers for APTN. So we have uh, uh, looked at um, the kind of the global aircraft technical professional population, and we have a database now of over 5,000 um, plus uh, people by country identified. So if you look at Russia, we have 126 in, a, in, in our database. Uh, Ireland, obviously, it's high. It's 575. Uh, Brazil, you can see, is 227. So what we're doing is we're going through each country that, that we think, think is, 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 is a good target country from the point of view of trying to find good aircraft technical professionals. Uh, recently, last week now, we targeted Colombia and um, Ecuador because of Avianca and Tame uh, troubles down there. So 
Um, so we go from the 5,000 plus, let's say, population. Uh, we captured them initially into the, uh, I'm going to share another screen here now, which uh, stopped that one, is the APTN LinkedIn hub. Um, and that should be here. So that's, that's the APT and hub uh, members group, which at the moment is over 1,135. Um, so these are people are following the news on APTN. A lot of them are taking part in the Zoom calls. Uh, we would like more and more of, of the members in the hub to, to move across to the, to the uh, actual IT platform that we've developed. And that's the third slide I'm going to show you, um, which is here. So when you're inside of the APTN hub, um, as an enterprise member, you can search this uh, database uh, for expertise, which uh, is listed there by country or by world region or by, uh, by date, and uh, you will get a short list. So just to show you one quick example, I, I mentioned Colombia there to you a minute ago, um, or Ecuador, whichever, let me see, Ecuador. Search. Uh, yeah, there's three airframe guys there. If I do structures, the same list of guys, is it? Yeah, so you, you go in there, you, you, click, you, you click on the, the guy that you might be interested in, in, in employing for a particular project in the region. Uh, and um, that's the usefulness of the, of the system. The last uh, slide I'll share. Uh, which is just an overview of the membership uh, in terms of numbers in the platform. And that is here. So you can see there are 265 currently on the platform as opposed to the 1,100 in the LinkedIn hub group. Uh, the mix of expertise across the various uh, uh, aircraft technical um, areas is shown here. The types of aircraft that we uh, ask guys to kind of specify where they're expert in is, is listed here. Uh, so that, I mean, Boeing and Airbus obviously top of the list, but there are other types covered. Engine types are here. And yeah, that's just a broad overview of, of the membership type. And uh, that's our target is to try and get as many of those 5,000 people on board into the platform. So uh, on that note, um, I'd like to thank you for, for joining today. Uh, we had six uh, aircraft lessors on board, thanks to Macquarie, Aircap, Airwork, ICBC, Bellinger and Worldstar for joining today. We had four engineering service companies. We had uh, um, Aero Inspection, we had Acumen, we had Boston Air, we had Docs, and then we had uh, some uh, APTN members joining as well. So thanks guys for joining this week. And on that note, we'll wrap up next week. Um, I'm hoping to do a call on uh, the area of aircraft jurisdiction and registrations. And um, we'll have a couple of speakers on board to talk about the pros and cons of different registrations, whether it be Bermuda, Two Reg, uh, uh, EASA Reg. So we'll have a couple of speakers on that topic next week. And uh, that's basically all from me, guys. And it, uh, We'll, we'll conclude at that. We had 24 on the call today and um, look forward to seeing you next week um, on, on board the, the Zoom call. All right. We'll leave it there, there for today. Thanks very much, Alan. All right, guys. Thank you, Alan. Take care. Thank you, Thank you Alan. Bye.